Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Frontline. How are we doing today in the room? Doing good? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to have you if you're joining and watching online as well. Uh, I've always had a fascination with outer space. Anybody else? I've just loved, I mean, even growing up, how many kids wanted to be an astronaut? Right? Like the first time you see a space movie or Toy Story or whatever, you're like, I just got to get there. I want to see outer space like Buzz. Like I, I want to understand what it's like out, Buzz Aldrin, I guess, or Buzz Lightyear. I, I want to understand what it's like getting outside of our atmosphere. I want to see space. I want to see the depths. I want to see the stars. I want to see the planets, the sun. I mean, there, there's just this deep like desire within me that wants to see what's out there, right? I chose this one too. It's like, man, when you see the world or you see the earth in a totally different way, it's like you, you realize how small we actually are and how big the universe is in which we reside. In 1955, it actually started the space race. Uh, during the Cold War, it was the race of countries to get to the moon or get to outer space the fastest. And, and so the space race happened, you know, the US won, we got there, we got on the moon, first man on the moon, whatever. Um, There's a new space race. Did you know this? There's a new space race that's actually happening right now, that is happening today, Uh, and it's between two gentlemen that you've probably heard of before. One is Richard Branson, uh, and then the other one is Jeff Bezos. This is actually happening like this morning. So uh, a couple couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, uh, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, announced that his space company is going to be privatizing space travel, and they're going to be heading there on July 20, which I believe is next week, Tuesday. So he makes this announcement. He says, I'm going up to space. It's going to be crazy, like non-NASA astronauts. Here we go. Well, then another guy, Richard Branson, founder of Virgin Galactic, basically says, I can beat that. So he announces that he's going up this morning. So at 9 a.m. this morning, he got on a a, a plane. It's like a plane spaceship. It looks like this. This is the VSS Unity. It's like an airplane with a spaceship in the middle that it flies up to a certain altitude. The spaceship separates, and then it heads off into the atmosphere. So Richard Branson this morning, unless there are any issues or whatever, I haven't heard anything yet, unless there are any issues, he was going to 50 miles above sea level, which is considered the beginning of outer space. There's like less than 500 people that have ever done that in human history. And so these will be the first private citizens to do so. They'll be considered astronauts. But then next week, Tuesday, Jeff is getting in what his company created, the New Shepard. Um, it's called Blue Origin is his company. It's a space shuttle that literally flies, goes through the atmosphere. And he may not be the first one like Richard Branson was today, but he is going farther, right? Don't you love the race? It's like, okay, well, you may have been first, but I went farther. Huh, one up that one. And then Elon's going to blow them both out of the water eventually. So here's both of them. The space shuttle actually breaches through the atmosphere. It detaches this top part. And what's wild is if you compare these two trips, the first one, so the one that's going up today is a 90-minute flight. 
So it's an hour and a half, super cool. They get up, they're gonna see kind of an image like the shot that I showed you. They'll experience some weightlessness and then they'll come back down. But Jeff's is a little bit different. Jeff's is like a total of 12 or 15 minutes. Can you imagine 12? And at the top, right, it's like the peak of their trip is about three minutes long. They'll experience weightlessness and seeing the world for the first time from that altitude for three minutes. Do you know how much someone paid to be on that flight? They sold one seat, one seat, and someone paid $28 million for 12 minutes of fun, which all of us think is pretty awesome, right? Is that fair to say? That is so cool. They, it, this is their slogan. They say, everybody gets a window seat. I would hope so for $28 million. Right? It's like, hey, welcome aboard. You're in the cargo bay. Jump on in. It's going to be an awesome ride. You're going to pray a ton. So this is what's happening. This, this is like the space race right now. There's a fascination, I think, on a human level that we have, all of us as people, to explore what's out there. We want to know. There's plenty of us in the room. Maybe you're like, yep, I ain't getting on that ship. I'm not going to be the first one. Nope, but send me pictures and videos. I will absolutely watch those because there's a desire. There's a hunger. It's like, what, what is actually out there? What's it look like? I, I was reading some of the articles and posts of like former astronauts and, and they pulled astronauts that have been, and it was some crazy high number, it might've been 90% or higher, uh, had a values change that was noted. Like they, they measured their values before and after the trip, after seeing the earth from that altitude. They came back different. There is a deep desire, deep within each one of our hearts to explore what's out there. But what's equally funny is I think a lot of times there's an equal aversion for all of us to explore what's deep within our hearts. You know, there's a craze right now, especially the younger generations of, you know, the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or personality assessments. It's like, I, I want to know me. I want to understand me. I want to this. But, but they only go so deep. They stay pretty superficial. It's kind of like, what makes me me and group me into a category or whatever. But, but few of us have actually asked God or asked another person to, to search me, to inventory me, to, to take a, an account of everything that resides, all of the good and then all of the bad. Most of us have an aversion to that. We don't want to go there. We don't want to see that. Most of us, as we live our lives, there's pain, there's broken experiences, there's woundedness. Most of us, as we live, acquire things that we never want to visit again. We don't want to think about, we don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to own, we don't want to admit, and we don't ever want to visit there again if we can help it. And, and I think, this is what I'd like to present you with today, I think if we did, it would change us. Like the astronauts who breached through the atmosphere, it's, they had a values change. I think if we could see our hearts through the eyes of God, it would change us. It would change us forever. Psalm chapter 139 is where we're at today. And I just want to encourage you, open up your Bible, open up your journal, open up your phone or tablet or whatever. You're going to want to take some notes today just on this passage of what David outlines. This is like a prayer that King David wrote thousands of years ago as a reflection or as a prayer of his life, but also as a plea with God. It starts off like this, Psalm 139, verse 1. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. David is acknowledging he is the created. He is the creation. 
He's looking at his creator and he's saying, you've, you've searched me. You've looked into me. You've explored me. You've taken an inventory and you have found 100% of what you were looking for. You've searched me and you know me better than myself. You know me better than anyone else on the planet. It says this in verse two, he keeps going. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. That's like a little creepy, isn't it? Like today, you're like, well, of course, you know, your phone and satellite and Google Earth. David didn't have any of that. He's like, I just know you're always there. I feel you. You know my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways, not just some of my ways, not just the ways that other people see. Every aspect of my life you know. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Even before I speak, you know what I'm going to say. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David is acknowledging that God's understanding and knowledge of us is greater than our capacity to ever know ourselves. That he knows us so much better, so much more intricately, so much more intimately than we could ever even imagine, than we could ever even aspire to know. David's saying, you know every single part of me. You've taken an inventory and it's all there. What's so funny about this excitement or draw sometimes like, oh, I wanna know myself or I wanna know my personality or, I mean, even we were on vacation this last week just for a couple days, we went out to Wisconsin and on the way home, we were reading through personality stuff together. And we're like, oh man, this is funny, this is, and then you get to weaknesses, you know that part of like the personality assessments? Sometimes they call them tips, right? They're like, let's soften the blow a little bit, right? Here's some tips on how you could function. Here's tips for other people on how to deal with you. you What's funny is the more we chase exploration of ourselves, the more we will end in disappointment. That the more we learn, the more we understand, the more we discover or uncover, the more that gets unearthed, the more disappointed, broken, and frustrated we will actually become. Why? Because most of us hate what we find. Most of us have things that happened to us or things that we did or decisions that we made or problems we struggled with or or areas of insecurities or brokenness, whatever. Most of us have those and we wanna stuff them. We wanna hide them, we wanna pour concrete over them and act like nothing ever happened. But the more we dig, the more we discover, the more painful it gets. This is interesting. I thought even just this last year with COVID, I was like, what, what did this do to the human psyche when there was more time to spend by yourself than ever before? Here's what they found. During August 2020 to February 2021, so this is about a six-month, seven-month period, the percentage of adults with recent symptoms of anxiety or a depressive disorder increased from 36.4% all the way up to 41.5%. That's over four out of 10 people in this room 
Four out of 10 people watching online. Four out of 10 people in your family. Four out of 10 people at your workplace. Four out of 10 people in your classroom. Whatever it is, whatever your context, four out of 10 have experienced recent symptoms of anxiety or depression. Why? Because the more we spend time and explore ourselves, the more it drives us to pain. And it just makes me ask the question, what, what do we do with our lives that keeps us from that? Entertainment, vices, relationships, work, you name it. We stay away from it as long as possible because the more we discover, the more it causes us to die. What's your natural inclination? What, what do you naturally want to do when you hear somebody knows everything about you? You just took a lie detector test or you took a super comprehensive personality test that tells you everything about you. What is your natural reaction to do with the person that now holds the knowledge? Run! Anybody else? Right? This is, this is scary. You know everything about me? If you knew everything about me, there's no way you'd love me. If you knew everything about me, there's no way you'd accept me. If, there's, if you knew everything about me, there's no way you wouldn't leave me. Here's what David says. Let's keep reading. Psalm 139, verse 7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? So isn't that funny? It's his first thought. Where could I run that could get away from your Holy Spirit? Which is a problem, right? Theological thing. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So wherever you run, there the Spirit is as well. So David's going, here's a problem. Where can I flee from your presence? God's jurisdiction is the universe. We can't escape that. So where can I run? Where can I flee? Where can I go? If I go up to the heavens, there you are. It's your address. If I go, if I make my bed in the depths, there you are. You're still right here with me. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, even when I run to sin, even when I run to shame, even when I run to brokenness, even when I run to the depths of my life, you are there. Even your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. From the very beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. They caused brokenness. They violated what God had said, this is right, this is how to live. When they broke it, their first reaction was to run and to hide. And it's the same thing we do today. God was walking through the garden. And he goes, where are you? Where are you? It's not because they were lost. It's because they were hiding. He was coaxing them. He was giving them an invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Here's the invitation. I already know you. This is funny. Let's keep reading. Psalm 139, verse 13. says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully 
made. That I was put together. That, that, like an artist paints a picture. I, I was crafted. I was created. I was brought together. Every characteristic was chosen. Every chromosome was tro- chosen. Every cell, every personality trait, every part of what makes you, you, God said, I did that. I put it together. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This passage is so special to me, especially right now. Uh, Shannon and I have a son, his name is Judah. He'll be three this October. Uh, But what we got excited about too was not just having one, but having multiple. And so something that, that kinda happened that we didn't anticipate was a struggle through like a valley of infertility. And so what we found, I mean, it's funny how when you start going to the depths or when you start encountering struggle or hardship or pain or unmet expectations, God starts unearthing things within you. He starts bringing them up going, I want to work on this. I want to soften this. I want to massage over here. I want to grow you. I want to lead you out of this. And so as we struggled, it was about 16 months. And it's crazy, it actually drove us to prayer for something like that, united, that we'd never really united together with that level of intensity before. So we had a group of men, this was just a couple months ago, a group of men down in Kentwood uh, that I happened to be with uh, who offered to pray over me and for Shannon. And so no, no joke, they literally prayed for us and then we actually got pregnant. And so we're expecting a baby now in December. Is that wild? Isn't that crazy? See, here's why I tell you this. Here's why I tell you. As I've thought about this, as I've reflected, that's not everybody's story. If if that's not your story, if you're like, man, we're still there, we're still in the depths, we're still struggling, I, I get it. There's so many people here who get that, who understand. But, but what it brought up to me, this is why I shared it with you, it brings up this realization to me that, that creation happens by God and God alone that we, we can't force, we can't create. God says, humanity is so important to me, that you are so important to me that I created you. And right now there's over seven billion people on the planet, not one of them is alike. Sure, we, we shared similar qualities or looks, or whatever, but God goes, no, 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 no. Every creation is a unique creation. He loves us. He's so infatuated with us because we are a creation of a creator. He's saying in the secret place, in the womb, what he is doing right now in our lives for this child we haven't yet met, he did for you. That at one point you were unformed. At one point you were just an idea. At one point you weren't a thing yet. And God goes, blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna ordain the days of your life. I'm gonna go before you. I'm gonna set them up. And notice he says, in my book. That we're actually a part of his story. And I think so often we make the mistake of thinking the story is mine and God plays a role. God says, wrong. It is my story, and I'm inviting you to step in and be a part of it. So let's keep reading here. 
says this, verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. Notice the change in perspective here. David goes from being about him, about God discovering him, about trying to run away, but then the realization of, but hold on, you created me, you know me, you, you ordained my days, you, you've done, so his perspective is changing from himself to his creator, and he says this, how vast is the sum of them, talking about God's thoughts. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. This is really funny. Then he, he goes full force, right? Guys especially, you know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, I'm on your team. I'm really on your team. You know, who, who's against you? I'm against them. Here's what David does. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you? Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Kind of like, settle down there, cowboy. <laughs> Relax. But I, what I want to point out, it's just funny how his heart begins to change. His heart begins to, at the beginning, he's talking about running from God. Towards the end of the passage, he's talking about killing for God. God's going, time out. Nope, 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 hold on. David's heart changes because of one very important reason. And the reason is this, his knowledge of God is growing. The more he learns about his creator, the more he's hungry for him. So it keeps happening over and over and over. Something that's part of my testimony, that's a part of everyone's testimony in here. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you're a follower of him, do you remember the moment where you gave your life to the Lord for the very first time? There, there was a moment for me, I gave, I, I said, okay, I give up. It's not my life anymore, it's your life. I lay it down, I'm gonna die to myself because only in you will I come alive. And there's this piece where I start understanding, going, God, this is who you are. This is your character, this is your goodness. This is, my knowledge and experience begins to grow and the more I learn, the more I crave. Every disciple of Jesus in this room has that experience. Every disciple listening online has that experience. If you haven't, you haven't met God yet. Because the more you learn about him, you, you, your tank just goes, I'm starving for what only he can offer. So this is what's changing. This is what's cultivating in David's heart. And so as he's growing, he's attracted to learning more about God for this reason. When I am the center of my universe, the world becomes a very bleak place. Think about it. This to me goes back to before I gave my life to Jesus. When I am the center of my universe, here's three things. All that I am and all that I have dies when I die. So everything becomes temporary. Everything becomes run as fast and as hard and as long as you can and get as much as you can because at the end it's just gone. That's a very bleak existence. Here's number two. Uh, things outside of my control, like cancer, like pain, like hardship, things that I can't control that just come on, they just happen. It's part of life. Things that happen win. They just win. They win the day. They take control. I, I'm just subject to them. Whatever happens, happens. I have no control for things I can't control. Here's the last one. I have to earn and prove my value. Look at our culture. We have a scoreboard, and on it are things like power, how much power you yield in your business, in your workplace, in your school, in your relationships, how much money you have, what title you own, 
what house you live in, what neighborhood you live in, what your family looks like. We, we have a scorecard of which we derive value from and ascribe value to. That's exhausting. That's exhausting because your tank always feels empty. It's like I'm never quite enough. I'm never right there. I'm never as much as them. And the existence that we know as life becomes very bleak. But when you shift, when you pivot, when you change like David does here, look at, look at what he says. It's like everything's about God and God's story and God's life and God's words. So think about this. When God is the center of the universe, my world is incredible. For this reason, I am a part of his story. So God, who was there before the foundations of the earth, who will be there after the world disappears, whatever. God, beginning and end, alpha, omega, start, finish. God is there. God is everything. So no longer is it just me, temporary. It's eternal. God says, I'm over all of that. I created all of that. Here's another one. Everything submits to his authority. Cancer, pain, hardship. Everything we just listed that we go, my life is bleak if I'm subject to that. You're right, but your life is hopeful. Your life is incredible. Your life is amazing when God is the center because all of those submit to his authority. The disciples learned who followed Jesus, even the weather submits to God's authority. Everything submits under him. No longer fear will win the day. Now it's our Lord wins the day. And when we put our hope in him, we win. Here's the last one. My value and my worth is ascribed to me that it's given as a gift from my creator, that it's not something I have to earn, and if it's not something I have to earn, it's also not something I can lose. God says, I've created you, and you have inherent value because you are my creation. So when that can't change, life is wonderful because there's nothing that can happen that can change that. I started reading a book a couple weeks ago. It's called Dangerous Prayers. Uh, prayer is something that, that God really brought to the forefront of my mind and my heart and my life over the last couple months. So I went, I, I'd rather read. Like, I want to learn. I want to grow in this. And so Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Dangerous Prayers. He's a pastor down in Oklahoma. And so I bought the book, and I started reading, and he's got three dangerous prayers that we can pray as followers of Jesus. So I'm like, all right, this ought to be good. What's prayer number one? You know, get me in. And the prayer he chose for number one is actually the next verse in this passage that David writes. And it goes like this. Search me, God, and know my heart. You're like, well, that's the same thing he said at the beginning. It's not. At the beginning, David says, you have searched me and you do know me. By the end of the passage, as he's understood who God is, as he's understood his character, he actually invites God in to search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, the things that drive me, the things that concern me, the things that frustrate me, the things that anger me. Test me and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me. And then lead me into the way everlasting. The way everlasting is the same name on that banner on the side. It's Jesus. 
That the more we allow God to come into the depths of brokenness in our hearts, the more he will actually lead us out of there into something of life. And life has a name, and his name is Jesus. This is God's plan. In fact, let's get theological for a second here. This is a process called sanctification. This is when you first give your life to the Lord, when you say, okay, God, my life is no longer mine. I'm laying it down because Jesus died on a cross for me. He took on my shin, my, my shin, he took on my sin <laughs> and my shin and my shame and my guilt. He, he took on all of it and he paid a price that I could not pay for myself. So, so he took all of it, died, rose again, and said, now death even submits to me too. So sanctification, when we give our lives to the Lord, the process of becoming more like Jesus for every day after that is called sanctification. So as David invites God in, he's saying, sanctify me, purify me, mold me into your likeness. There's an invitation here, not just for David, but for all of us. I wanted to share this quote with you. Uh, it's by a pastor named Tim Keller. He's out in New York City, a uh, brilliant author and writer and leader. And, but he says this, to be loved and not known is comforting, but it's superficial. This is like social media. This is like stage. This is the life that you want people to see. It's like, love me, love me, love me, but don't know me. He's saying it feels good, it's comforting, but, it, but it's superficial, it's not deep. He said to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That's to be found out. That's to be exposed. That's to have somebody use that knowledge against us. It's our greatest fear, which is why we play the game of charades. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. 2016 was the very first year uh, that I ever actually saw a counselor on my own. I was tricked into seeing a counselor once before by my mom. <laughs> and I, I decided in June of 2016, I'm like, I, I, I want to sit down with somebody. And so I went down and I sat down with this counselor and I'm shooting super straight with you. I had a horrible experience. I was like, you just fulfilled every stereotype I've ever had about counselors, and I hate this, and this is why I didn't want to show up. But there were a number of things that were going on in my life. I was, I was actually at the beginning of a lot of very important things in my life, and there was a lot of other stuff, brokenness, sin, I mean, uh, chaos, whatever it is from life, from family, from heart, that was starting to create problems. So both were happening at the same time. Let me give you some windows. Uh, I was in my second year of seminary which is basically education to become a pastor. I was about to get married, and I just submitted a job application to a church called Frontline. Isn't that wild? Here's what else was going on behind the scene. Uh, I was struggling, bouncing job to job to job. In fact, I was uh, fired slash quit. You know those conversations? From a ministry job. It was one of those conversations like, do I have a future here? No. Okay, then I quit. That was how that, that's, that's a problem. God was going, I'd like to work on this area of your life. My default emotion was anger. 
I was restless, family was chaotic. There was stuff just in my life that kept showing up. And I went, I, I actually need to deal with this. The church that I left said, we wanna give you a gift. We wanna provide some counseling for you. We're not gonna force it, but if you'll take it, we'll, we'll pay for it. And so after that first one, I moved, I found somebody different and holy smokes, did I get into a rhythm. In fact, it, it made such a difference and such an impact on my life. I've continued to see a counselor ever since. I'm kind of in what's called maintenance mode right now. It's like I've, I've worked through so many things that God has brought up and went, I wanna, I wanna work on this. I, I, wanna, I wanna massage this out here. I actually wanna go to an area of your life you don't wanna go to. I wanna go to the areas of pain. I wanna go to the areas of woundedness. I wanna go to the areas of shame. I, I wanna bring all of those up, not to hurt you, but to love you because I wanna lead you into the way everlasting. Counseling has done that for me significantly. But, but so have other things. So have mentors in my life. So have pastors in my life. So, so has my family, especially older, like grandparents have really shepherded me through that. So has scripture. As I read this book, it just highlights brokenness in me and then provides a way to everlasting. It says, you don't have to stay there. God didn't, God didn't die for you so that you could stay in your sin. God died for you so that he could lead you out of it, that he could resurrect things that had died. And then prayer. God desires to cultivate change, wholeness, healing, restoration, resurrection in your life. It's because of Jesus. He desires to do this in you. And so how we're gonna close today is just by reading that prayer again, the dangerous prayer. And I wanna challenge you, if you don't mean it, don't pray it. But if you mean it, pray it. We're gonna take just a couple seconds here and we're, we're just gonna spend some time praying individually. And, and I'm gonna read this prayer over you. And if you wanna pray it, repeat after me. Go before your heavenly father who fully knows you and fully loves you and ask him to search your heart. Ask him to reveal things in you and then ask him to lead you to the place of everlasting, which is Jesus. We're gonna do that together and then we're gonna worship. Sound good? So let's do that right now. Go ahead and bow your heads. Father, we come before you right now as a people, as a church, as your people, as your church. What we pray right now, Father, is that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us, that you would bring up things that you wanna cultivate within us. So here's our prayer, Lord. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. 
and then lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we ask that you would speak, that you would highlight things right now in our hearts, things that you desire to cultivate, that you would bring to mind areas of brokenness, areas of shame, areas of guilt, areas that are not yet mature or formed because of your spirit. Father, we pray that you would unearth things deep within our souls right now, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us, that you would go to the depths of the places of our heart that many of us have never been that we've never traveled, that we've ignored, that we know deep in the back of our minds that they've existed, but we've run from them. We've hid from them. We've tried to hide from you. And right now, Father, many in this room, many watching or listening online are opening up their hearts saying, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. Bring up the areas of my life that are broken. Take me to the depths of my own heart and then lead me, Father, into the way everlasting, which is Jesus because through him mountains can fall, because through him chains can break, because through him dead things that were gone can come back to life. Father, do a work through your Holy Spirit in our hearts that only you can do. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this right now in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen.